Cliff Record Case 42, Ho Koji's Beautiful Snowflakes. The koan, Ho Koji was leaving Yakusan. Yakusan let ten Zen students escort him to the temple gate to bid him farewell. Koji pointed to the falling snowflakes and said, Beautiful snowflakes, one by one, but they fall nowhere else. Then one of the students, named Zenzen Kaku, said, Then where do they fall? Koji gave him a slap. The student said, Koji, you shouldn't be so abrupt. Koji said, If you are like that and call yourself a student, Emma will never let you go. The student said, What about yourself? Koji gave him another slap and said, You look, but you are like a blind person. You speak, but you are like a deaf mute. Secho's verse, Hit him with a snowball, hit him with a snowball. Even the best will fail to reply. Neither heaven nor earth knows what to do. Eyes and ears are blocked with snow. Transcendent serenity and purity. Even the old blue-eyed monk can't explain. We designed this session to give everyone a true experience of working on a koan. In past koan session, we've had people work on some of the fundamental koans, which are called breakthrough koans, such as mu, or the sound of one hand, or your original face. What, is your, what was your original face before your parents were born? However, people could shout, moo, moo, or shrug, or flap one hand in Sanzen for the entire six days and just get frustrated and give up on koans. You'd be amazed how many people try to answer the koan. What is the sound of one hand by going? That's not the answer, by the way. Don't try it. In the classic koan curriculum, students must first pass mu or any other breakthrough koan before they're given any other koans. So hide yourself in a pillar is actually one of the first 200 koans, which are essentially testing questions. Did you pass through mu? Did you pass through one hand? Did you pass through sound? If you do pass Mu thoroughly, then the koans are simply questions about the country that we call the Absolute or Buddha nature. And, sin and since that has become the other country you now live in, the koans make a certain kind of sense. Still, because koans are full of traps and snares to trick us back into dualistic thinking, and because we have tried to think our way out of dilemmas all our life. We have tried to use our thinking mind to get out of dilemmas or questions or problems all our life. Koan work can be challenging and frustrating, even if you've had a good pass through move. 
Uhold told me a couple of days ago that when I stuck him on one koan for weeks a few years ago, he was furious. At times, working on koans can seem like thinking of five impossible things before breakfast. We decided for this session to do it backwards, rather than requiring that people pass through Moore have, Moore have some semblance of a clear opening before they're given koans. We decided to give each person an actual koan that they could work on, work hard on, twice a day, daily feedback and support on. And through it, maybe they could get a glimpse of Moo. I think it worked. It was better than bellowing Moo for six days and then going home frustrated because you all got some traction on a koan. And you got a real feeling for what koan training is like. And I use the word training on purpose. You will hear a lot of people talk about koan study. And in other centers, they, actually, they study koans like something that's an academic form of study. And they bring in, like we do, the history of the teacher and the teacher's teacher and the conditions at the time. All of those are very interesting. But it's not the same as undergoing training with koans. Allowing yourself to be drawn and quartered by koans. To me, koan study is all in the mind. Well, occasionally penetrates a little bit into people's reality but doesn't change fundamentally, doesn't change people fundamentally. Fundamental change is very hard, very hard. So my dearest hope is that having worked on a koan this session, you will change. It will change you. So koan training is like putting yourself purposely, throwing your whole self into a meat grinder. And you really, really undertake years of koan training. But it is so worthwhile. It is so worthwhile. As Maizumi Roshi used to say to me when I was stuck, that much you are unclear. Which is frustrating to hear, but also not frustrating to hear. It's encouraging, because as you enter this precious practice more deeply, beyond the stage of, oh, I feel so calm and relaxed after I meditate, your desire to get clearer and clearer just grows and grows. I once told my teacher, my current teacher, just after I met him, I said, beat me so I am, until I am so thin and transparent that the Dharma can shine through without obstruction. And I didn't mean beat me with a stick. He knows that that's not necessary for me, although I do ask for Kiyosaku from him. If anything, I meant beat me with koans. I meant pointing out where I was clouded and clearing up that obstruction, that cloudiness, that murkiness. The small me, which we don't get rid of, 
but somehow take apart, turn upside down, turn inside out. Koans help us expand our awareness out into the spacious freedom of out here, not the cramped suffering of in there. Maizumi Roshi could have said, that much you are stuck in being a person. That much you are still stuck in being a person. Some people object to koans saying, well, I feel like I'm just pretending or doing charades. Which is the pretend? Which is the pretend? Is it the you that you cobble together to present to the world? Or the you that the pillar brought out? The you that is absolutely still, strong, and upright. Which is the pretend? Izumi Roshi once told me a story when I entered a koan so thoroughly that I stayed in that reality for days and it took some time and effort to emerge and function as usual, as usual, as Jan or Mom or Dr. Bayes again. The story is about a man considered to be the greatest Taoist master after Lao Tzu. His name was Chuang Tzu. Once Chuang Tzu had a dream that he was a butterfly, a very vivid dream. He enjoyed flying about freely, alighting on flowers and drinking their nectar. When he awoke, suddenly he couldn't remember was he a man who had dreamed he was a butterfly? Or was he now a butterfly who was dreaming that he was a man? Could the pillar be dreaming you? In his talk, Fuho spoke of the dream-like nature of reality. In the koan that I read yesterday, when Riku Taifu said, all things in I, the day before yesterday, when Riku Taifu said, all things in I are of the same substance. Isn't that wonderful? Nansen pointed out a flower and said, people these days see this flower as though in a dream. Nansen is talking to Riku and also to us. Do we prefer living in the dream of a broken, ugly, frozen, unrepairable, ineffectual self, all hunched over and afraid to really live? Do we prefer living in that nightmare of our own creation? Do we prefer conceptualizing, sprouting our own spouting our own philosophy and sprouting it. <laughs> Thinking that we have it all figured out. 
or pretending or maybe believing that we know all about how the world runs and we have figured out Zen practice and will expound it to anyone who will listen. That's another kind of bad dream. By the way, Riku Taifu in Chinese was Governor Liu. Governor Liu, who was a serious student of nonsense and eventually awakened and became one of nonsense's 17 successors. Will we stay in that dream or will we dare to take up nonsense challenge? take up the koan. I remember when I was going through the koan curriculum, I would look at a new koan and my, my, I could feel it in my stomach, oh no. <laughs> Many koans begin with a monk in all earnestness. A monk in all earnestness, which means that the monk had been wrestling sweating with the question for weeks, maybe years, and it had built up to the point where it burst out of him. Does a dog have Buddha nature? Which dog did he mean? The mangy cur in the temple yard? Or the mangy cur inside his own breast? A monk in all earnestness asked, what is the meaning of Zen? Has he been sitting night and day for weeks with no apparent progress and now he's desperate to know whether he should give up or go on? Hokoji's snowflakes. Hokoji was also a layperson who had lived and studied with Zen Master Yaksan at Yaksan's monastery for 17 years. He had good understanding, and when he left, Yaksan had 10 students accompany Hokoji to the gate. It was snowing, and Koji pointed to the snow, saying, beautiful snowflakes, they fall one by one, nowhere else. One of the students asked, then where do they fall? Sometimes people think they're asking a smart Zen question. Koji slapped him. That in itself was a clear answer. Where do they fall? Whap. Where do you feel the sting of the Kyosaku? Nowhere else. The student was upset. Don't be like that. Koji said, if you're like that, the king of hell has you as his hostage. But the student still persisted in trying Zen banter. Well, what about you? Koji replied, you look, but you are like a blind person. You speak, but you are like a deaf and mute person. When we're caught up in our mind, we can't see the snow. We're blind to heaven falling to earth. 
one snowflake at a time, one baby at a time. We're like blind and deaf people, chewing but not tasting. What is the taste inside of your mouth right now? Touching but not feeling. Can you feel the caress of your clothing right now? We have good vision and we have perfect hearing, but we're not seeing or hearing most of what's there. Drowsing away the hours on our cushion or walking around caught up in a dream, the dream inside our heads. Maybe you've had the experience, if it, if it, if it began snowing right now, how surprised we would be, how joyous we would be. We would all run outside to see it. We would catch the snowflakes. We would be so happy. And then, if we lived in a place where it snows, and then it snows, and then it snows, and then it snows, and then it snows, then the snow becomes a nuisance. But not to children. It becomes a place to slide, a place to build snow forts, and a place to make snowballs, to have fights. Our practice can guide us to that fresh, bright mind where everything is new, each flower new. I once heard Bob Thurman talk about this, and he said, someone gives you a beautiful chrysanthemum, and you go, oh, that is so beautiful. And then five minutes later, your mind goes, oh, chrysanthemums, I've seen 100 chrysanthemums. Can we stay fresh? Can we be born anew moment by moment? and not fall into blindness and deafness. There's another form of blind and deaf, which occurs when we're so absorbed in samadhi that we hear the birds calling as pure sound without naming. And the sound disappears completely without a trace in the mind. Without a trace in the mind. In that state of pure flow, we're unaware of time because the mind is not gluing the minutes together into a whole 35-minute period. When are they going to ring the bell? It must be 35 minutes. In that state of pure flow, each minute is a unique experience, like the snowflakes. The minutes fall and disappear, fall and disappear. We feel sad and disappears. We feel amused and disappears without a trace. There's no one inside monitoring our life. The minutes fall right here, right here, one by one. The bell rings and we're amazed. What happened to the time? When the snow first falls, we go outside, and the world is so silent. 
sparkling and silent. We love this because it touches the qualities of our true mind, deeply silent and sparkling. Secho's verse, hit him with a snowball, hit him with a snowball. Is he yelling at Koji or is he yelling at the student? If the student got hit with a snowball, would it shut him up completely and thus enlighten him? It has happened. Before Koji came and studied for 17 years with Yaksan, he had studied with several other Zen masters. The first was Sekito. And when they first met, Koji asked Sekito, who is the person who is independent of all things? Of course, the rational mind says, well, no one's independent of all things. Things like water or food. Or are we? Is there a person who is independent of dying and therefore independent of food or water? even dying from food or water, from lack of food or water. So many fears arise in our mind, even around food or water. Is there a person who is independent of those fears? We want to know that freedom. Freedom from external conditions and freedom from internal suffering. Freedom from external conditions and from internal suffering. Before Koji could finish his sentence, Sekito slapped his hand across his mouth. And Koji had an opening. Don't we wish that someone would slap their hand across our inner mouth? If Koji got hit with a snowball, not the student getting hit, but Koji got hit with a snowball, what would he do? What would a person of freedom do? Hopefully it would put a stop to the whole unnecessary dialogue and engage 10 students and Koji in something not theoretical or philosophical, but something real, something really real, icy cold, stinging snow in your face. <gasps> That shows verse, eyes and ears blocked with snow. Again, the states of ignorance or of pure awareness. How are they different? States of ignorance or pure awareness, how are they different? We sit on the cushion dozing, or we sit on the cushion wide awake, sunk deeply in the clear experience of each moment moment by moment. Very different. Secho says, transcendent serenity and purity. Even the blue-eyed Bodhidharma can't explain it. No one can explain it. It's a 
place without words, arrived at without words. Muman Khan, Case 37, Joshu's Cypress Tree. A monk asked Joshu, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming to China? This, can be, this question can be seen two ways. It can be seen as, what's the essence of Zen? What did Bodhidharma bring? Bodhidharma was very old when he traveled from China, when he traveled from India to China. Some people say over 100 years old, at least probably 70 or 80 years old. Very arduous journey, overland and by boat. Very dangerous. Took months. Why was Bodhidharma compelled? What was he bringing? So a monk asked Joshu, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming to China? Joshu said, the cypress tree in the garden. Muman's verse, words cannot express things. Speech does not convey the spirit. Swayed by words, one is lost. Blocked by phrases, one is bewildered. Words cannot express things. examples. We're sitting out in front of the monastery on the benches, and we have one of our beautiful sunsets, and everyone's sitting lined up on the benches like a bunch of birds on a wire, lost in the sunset. And then somebody walks out and says, oh, isn't that a beautiful sunset? The difference between the experience and the words. Or you're sitting with someone you love, sitting close to them, maybe snuggled up, not saying a thing. And the air is filled with love. And then one person says, do you love me? Beautiful way to break that fragile moment. Joshu's cypress tree. Joshu was a student under Nansen and became his most famous successor. He had an unusual ability to express the Dharma in very simple words, very beautiful words. And they describe it by saying, his mouth emitted light. We cannot match him, only admire and quote him. Several years ago, we did a pilgrimage to China, and we actually stayed at Joshu's temple. Of course, in China, like in Japan, there's nothing standing of the original temple, especially in China after the Cultural Revolution. Everything was torn down. But the land was there, and Joshu's stupa was there, the stupa where his remains are. And around that, a young Chinese monk built a whole new, thriving monastery. And we stayed there and practiced there for several days. 
they participated in, in the ceremony at the stupa. Very moving. And at that temple, there are cypress trees in the courtyard. Of course, not the original ones, but why not the original ones? It's up to us to say in our minds, oh, these aren't the original ones, or to experience them as the original ones. Is Joshua alive? Are the cypress trees alive? It's up to us. Somehow, this practice, these koans, have stayed alive for hundreds of years, thousands of years since the time of the Buddha. Passed down, life after life after life after life. Do we want to be part of that? Close to Joshu's temple is a bridge, a stone bridge. It was built in the first or second century, and it still stands. And at the time, it was considered an um, architectural marvel, an arched, an arched bridge across a river, a small river. And people came to, from all over to see it, like people would come to see the Golden Gate Bridge from all over the world. And one monk was visiting and said to Joshu that he had heard of this famous bridge and he had come to see it, a long way to see it. But he was disappointed, he says, looking at Joshu in the eyes, to find it was just an old rickety wooden bridge. Joshu said, you haven't seen the stone bridge. The monk asked, what is it? Joshu said, horses can cross and donkeys can cross. Maybe some of you feel like donkeys who've been prodded and dragged across the bridge of stone pillars. But you've all done well, really well. Earnest and sustained practice, that's what matters. That's what counts. Sometimes we're all donkeys, and sometimes the pace speeds up and we gallop. Respect this. Many of you participated in the grasses and trees session when we learned, we learned from the trees and the rest of nature. Dogen Zenji was fond of saying, cats and dogs know it, why don't we know it? Or he would say, stones and pebbles and walls know it, why don't we know it? So out there is a world that can teach us step out of our minds and learn, or unlearn. Actually, we unlearned during that session. We unlearned being human. And we took a, a few steps back into the experience of our unborn nature. That's why we love nature. It's there. It's there. It's preaching to us continuously. But we walk around with our eyes covered and our ears blocked out. Working with koans, we unlearn diligently, hour by hour, dropping away the person 
and entering the body and mind of a pillar. Being forced to stay present in Sanzen keeps you working at it. When your own inclination is to give up, stay outside, stay separate, stay outside, give up. I live at the monastery for one good reason. I would not practice like I know I need to practice and want to practice if I lived anyplace else. Which is a happier state? Which is a happier state? Being a human, as you know well, or being a pillar? Which is a happier state? Do pillars suffer? That could be a testing question. Hide yourself in a pillar. You get asked a testing question. Are you suffering? Why not? From inside the pillar, oh, I'm too short. I'm too round. I think I'm too round. Oh, no. Someone insulted me. Maybe they're right. Maybe I am a stupid-looking pillar. <laughs> oh, why was I ever born? What is the real purpose of my life? <laughs> Pillars can teach us a lot if we allow it, if we let them. If we let them in, all the way in, they can teach us about the qualities of our original being. They can teach us about the qualities of our original being, qualities that are still within us. Qualities like stability and a quiet mind. When you dwell for hours as a pillar, you absorb the awareness, the mind of a pillar. If we've done a koan for days, it stays with us, inside of us, reminding us of what is possible. A deeply quiet mind. Mu helps us clear away thoughts. Shouting and chanting vigorously helps at the start of a session to drown out all the competing voices in here. When the vigorous activity and the noise of moo, 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 moo suddenly stops, there's a clear space. That open, silent space in the mind shows us what's possible. Dogen Zenji said, think of non-thinking. OK, I'll try it. Think of non-thinking. It's akin to a practice that I love, which is to settle the mind at the origin of thought. It's a concentration practice. You settle the mind at the origin of thought, as if you were in Yellowstone Park and you're watching a mud pot that bubbles once in a while. Bloop. In this case, it's your mind's mud pot that bubbles up a thought once in a while. So you sit. And you watch the origin of thought, waiting for a thought to emerge. Can you 
feel it even before it emerges, trying to emerge. And if a thought emerges, then immediately, why did I think that thought? It's very interesting. Think of non-thinking. The verses of faith mind say, when all is seen with equal mind to our self-nature, we return. If you've had moments a 50% pillar and 50% person, you've begun to see with equal mind. You've begun to return to your self-nature. Cut off all useless thoughts and words, and there's nowhere you cannot go. If a thought is useless, let it go. It's a wonderful practice. Is this thought useless? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Cut off all useless thoughts and words, and there's nowhere you cannot go. If a thought is useless, let it go. And you will return to the root of all things. You will find the meaning of all things. Let the pillar teach you. Let the trees teach you. Let the stones teach you. Let the flowers teach you. The hills, the falling leaves teach you. Let them in completely. Completely. Completely in. And then turn out. Practice well. Practice well. <laughs>